The tours that I've done, you know, um, I've done 10 tours, uh, not all as a sniper, but my Iraq tours and Afghan tours that I've done were all as snipers. And um, being a sniper is hard, you know, and I think my final Afghan tour, I got blown up, I got shot in the helmet, you know, went right round and came out the top. And mm -hmm. then I got three days later, I got blown up. And when I got blown up, I, I remember being in Bastion Hospital and I couldn't control my emotions. I just couldn't control my emotions. And I was thinking of stuff that happened on other tours, you know? And I was thinking, why am I thinking of them? Why am I just ignoring it? And I, I kept it to myself, really. And I refused to believe that I had PTSD, you know, because I didn't know what PTSD was. It wasn't a thing, you know? And you refuse to think that you're going to suffer from post-traumatic stress yourself. Welcome to another edition of the Kit Cage, and we are very blessed to have on today Craig Harrison, a former British sniper. How are you, Craig? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Absolutely my pleasure. Uh, there's plenty I'd like to talk to you about. Um, so starting off with your early days, uh, both your parents were in the Royal Air Force, uh, but you decided to choose a path in the Army. What was it that pointed you in that direction? Uh, basically, because I had horses when I was younger, you know, uh, my childhood was good and I wanted to, to become a farrier, basically. And uh, there was no farriers in Civilian Street which were taken on civilian apprenticeships. So, um, yeah, I, just, I joined the army, I joined the household cavalry to become a farrier, basically, and uh, and then stay in as long as I could, then leave the army as a, with a trade so I can do in civilian street as well. And that was the plan, you know. Yeah, that sounds, sounds a very good plan. Um, now, just pushing forward a bit, because there, there's plenty of the, the after military life that I would like to speak to you about. Uh, Obviously, you became a, a sniper. Now, how rare is that for somebody of uh, Blues and Royals household cavalry to become a sniper? Yeah, there was uh, my regiment was stuck in the archaic ages, you know, with the vehicles and stuff like that. And uh, it was like because we were forward reconnaissance, there was no place for snipers to uh, have a role at all. And um, the person in charge of the REC regiments, you know, wore the armoured side. He decided that, um, yeah, snipers could become in the household cavalry. Uh, so I applied for it and, uh, yeah, I, I, I got accepted on the standard school. And uh, I remember tipping up at the school and I had no idea because there was no snipers at the regiment. I couldn't have a pre-course. Yes. So there was no heads up at all what to expect what to do or anything so i tipped up totally blind and i was i was it was powers there there was guards you know and there was just me from the household cavalry and they had ghillie suits they had odd boards they had sticks you know they had rifles they had spine scopes everything i had nothing i just had my bag ready for you know <laughs> nine and a half weeks of just training really so i had to beg still and borrow uh the kit um, I think the uh, powers gave me a right. No, the guards gave me a rifle. The Irish guards gave me a rifle to borrow, 
and some spot out of spotting scope. And uh, the first weekend I had off for of the course, um, I was in the regimental tailor shop making my ghillie suit, you know, <laughs> making it a bit better than it than everyone else's. That's why I wanted to be better than everyone else, you know, and that was, you know, that's what I wanted. Where did that mental drive come from to be better than everyone else on that? I think my grandfather, you know, my grandfather was like a father figure to me because my mum divorced my dad. So um, at an early age, so I didn't really, I knew my dad, but I didn't know what happened to him or anything. You know, I know he lives up north now, but I've never reconnected with him. And um, I just wanted to, yeah, to strive to be better. And, and my granddad was like that. Everything he wanted to do, he wanted to strive. And he, I looked at him as a father figure as well as a granddad as well, you know. And, yeah, he, he brought yeah. me up that way. Yeah, and it's, it's never failed me. That's it. I, I, I can relate to that, Mark. Even though uh, my father was about, um, he was a farmer, so... He was about, but never about, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah for sure, yeah. All the time. And it was my granddad that brought me up. Um, and I feel that my values were very much installed from him, so I can relate to that. Um, so, obviously, you passed that course and you uh, w- were deployed. Now, I believe your your choice of weapon was 115A3? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the rifle, the... Um... The British Army, they had the L96, the old, yeah. uh, they called it the Mean Greenie, yeah. you know, and they had that for so that. long, you know, and uh, they sort of like upgraded to the uh, A1A133 um, rifle, the other uh, 338, yeah. and uh, they had that, but that was more heavier, so you couldn't actually, you don't patrol with a sniper rifle, but in the green zone in Afghan, um, having the L1, not having the L96, you know, you could get that up quicker and engage quicker, targets quicker. But that three through eight was a lump, you know. But it had some stopping power as well. And now, obviously, that's that's the main thing. I was would that be one down from seven six two? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, obviously, you're you're quite renowned for having the longest shot. Uh, for, was it two thousand and nine to twenty seventeen? Yes, yeah. Uh, so obviously after 2017, it was uh, the the fellow from JTF2, yeah, that got it, which is kind of cheating because it was 50 cal. Yeah, and I always think to myself, like, <laughs> I, I always think like, no, I'm not said yet. I look at look at mine, but he had a it's a McMullen he had, wasn't it? Yeah, the yeah. 50 cal, yeah. and but he was given Overwatch, and my shot was my new. You know, and yeah. I didn't do it to to take them out. I did it to keep the heads down. Yeah. But it just happens. I ended up hitting them with the four shots that I fired. The two shots hit them. You know, and um, if you give an Overwatch, why is he looking at a target only two miles away? Give an Overwatch. So that that's in my head anyway. But yeah, if if he done it, he done it. You know, we're not there to break records. You know, we're there to support each other you know, and um, do the job. But if, if you broke the record, good on him. You know, I, I didn't want to, my my attitude wasn't there to break the world record. It was to help my men get out of the shit, you know. Absolutely. Um, but still, you know, I think 50 cal is, is still yeah, cheap. 50 cal can go 4Ks <laughs> plus on a straight line, you know. Exactly. Um, the fellow before you, um, do you know who that was before 2009? Roth Furlong? Yeah. Yeah, um, 50, 50 cal again. Exactly. So yeah. it, it puts you in a very um, 
prestigious category, I believe that it, it for me it is a sniper shot that you took, and it it should be the record, you know, fifty cal aside. Um, now obviously coming out of the military, this is what I really want to talk about. You you suffered with uh, PTS. Yeah. Um, are you able to pinpoint a point where you realised you were getting PTS? And now looking back in hindsight, is there a point where you could say, well, this is what started it? Uh, for the tours that I've done, you know, um, I've done 10 tours, uh, and not all as a sniper, but my Iraq tours and Afghan tours that I've done were all as snipers. And um, being a sniper is hard, you know, and I think my final Afghan tour, I got blown up, I got shot in the helmet, you know, went right round and came out the top. And oh, yeah. then I got three days later, I got blown up. And when I got blown up, I, I remember being in Bastion Hospital and I couldn't control my emotions. I just couldn't control my emotions. And I was thinking of stuff that happened on other tours, you know, and I was thinking, why am I thinking of them? Why am I just ignore it, ignore it? And I, I kept it to myself, really. And well, I went home. Uh, you know, after the tour, and um, I went to the sniper school for two years teaching. And Tanya said to me, my wife, she goes, "There's something wrong." And I said, "No, I'm fine." And I said, "There's something wrong with you. You know, you're very quiet. You've very withdrawn. Mm-hmm. Um, you, like I've caught you crying a few times." And I said, no, "I'm fine, honestly." And so she knew there was something wrong. She spotted it first, and I refused to believe that I had PTSD. You know, because I didn't know what PTSD was. It wasn't a thing, you know, and you refuse to think that you're going to suffer from post-traumatic stress yourself because you think, oh, no, I'm not going to do that because the way I am is a human being, you know. And then um, I went back to the regiment after serving two years at the sniper school. And when I was going on exercise, I was taking it too far. You know, I was in fucking Afghan. I was in fucking Iraq, you know, when other squadrons or other regiments would play the enemy. I was fucking thinking there were literally the Taliban or the insurgents, you know, and um, the regiment spotted it and they called me into the office, into the medical officer's MO's office and said, look, we need you to go to old shot just for a checkup, you know. So I went to go and see a mental health um, psychiatrist in older shot, which is not far from our camp in Windsor, and yeah, I got diagnosed with CPTSD, chronic PTSD, because it doesn't, it, it wasn't, I thought chronic PTSD, because it wasn't one incident. Yeah. You know, it, it was all from different tours. It just yeah. fucking power drive. Accumulation of it all. You know, it's not like I got hit by a car and I had one instance of PTSD. It was fucking everything just flooding my brain. All the missions I've been on, the sniper missions and the stuff that I've seen and done, you know, and I just couldn't control it. But so they put me on medication um, and yeah, it was working. The medication was working, but it destroyed everything in my life. You know, it destroyed my sex life. It, it made me more introvert as a person and quiet, yeah. you know, um, uh, suicidal thoughts were fucking horrendous in my head. And the army still noticed it. And they called me into the MO's office and we're going to medical discharge you. So and I said, what? We're going to medical discharge you. And I thought, but I'm fine. I'm all right. You know, I'm doing my fucking job. I'm doing yeah. what I do. And they said, no, you're not healthy to be around sort of thing. So they sent me, we called it gardening leave. You know, they yeah. sent me on gardening leave for a bit. And um, 
they um, they said, look, that, that's you, you're gone. So 23 years, half an hour to get kicked out sort of thing, you know. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, chronic PTSD, uh, and you were saying that you've been blown up a couple of times, you, you had a round rattle through your helmet. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, have you ever thought about TBIs? I have got I have got a TBI. I have got a brain injury. Yeah, uh, wow. I got when I got diagnosed. I got diagnosed with um, uh, traumatic brain injury on my right side because where the round hit, yeah. um, I was fucked when that hit me. That knocked me clean the fuck out. You know, for about twenty seconds, I was unconscious. And when I came round to this day now, the firefight that I was in, and I got back into the firefight, I haven't got a fucking clue what was going on. Haven't to this day now not a fucking clue. It was only the stories that my driver and my gunner were telling me what I'd done that I knew what I had done. Otherwise, I like, still now not know, you know. And then I got blown up and then blown up again, and the shockwave hitting on yeah. the right side constantly. Yeah, I, I get migraines all the time now. Migraines, and they're slowly getting worse my migraines i get one every week and i get i wake up with a headache and i go to bed a headache with a headache as well okay. you know and i try different things like try a different capello in my yeah. in my you know I, I try and help myself in many ways but yeah yeah i've got a tbi uh chronic ptsd my hips are fucked i've just had two <laughs> hip replacements done you know i'm just falling apart mate you know um <laughs> Obviously, you know, I think most of us veterans could probably say that at a certain age, you know, knee, knees and hips. Yeah, mate. Uh, from yeah. You know, carrying yeah. all the weights and that. Um, how did you feel when they just turned around and, and at that stage and said, look, we're going to medically discharge you? Because- no purpose. I had no purpose in life. No purpose. And if the front of my head was suicide, the front of my head was suicide. That's all I could think, you know, because I'm fucking army. I joined when I was 16 years old, yeah, all you done. know, and all I know is army. And to be fair, you know, and my wife, fucking we are so close, me and Tanya, but it was always the army first and her second, you know, because I met her while I was in the army and I wasn't going to change my you know, thinking of the British Army. So, yeah, it was always her second. And I regret that in a way. I wish I'd put her first because the way the Army treated me now, I wish I'd put her first, you know. But uh, in that time, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really think of it, you know. But, yeah, absolutely fucking devastated. Winded more than anything else. And the unknown, what do I fucking do? You know, I live in Army accommodation, what do I do? I got to get a fucking job. Who's going to hire somebody with PTSD, with anxiety, with depression, and stuff like that? Who's going to hire? And these people say, "Yeah, we hire soldiers with depression." Until you have a mental health day, yeah, and then the following week you have another mental health day, and they said you're a liability, mate. You can fuck off. And that's what they're like, you know. Yeah. They give you all the all the fluffiness until they see you and realize you have got issues and you're a liability, and they fuck you off, you know. It, obviously, you know, it's it's not that long ago, you know, uh, that this happened to you. But obviously, between then and now, um, do you feel things have changed? You know, the military's perception on uh, mental health, PTS, no. and TBIs have changed? No? No, not at all. Not at all. My regiment's really bad for it. 
you know, and they had a thing called trim, um, and it was called trauma, some, uh, something, it means something. So basically, when you're in a firefight or a heavy tick, like troops in contact, yeah. when you're in a heavy one, um, they you come back off the front line and you get trimmed, and it's meant to reduce your chances of getting PTSD, yeah. you know. And I never got trimmed once. All my lads never got trimmed, you know. It was just a massive loophole that they try to make, and it, it never really happened, you know. I think other regiments like the Powers or the Marines, they look off their own, you know. Their their associations are really good at looking off their own, yeah. but the Household Cavalry aren't good at that at all really poor about it and to, they don't understand ptsd they don't understand you know the ethos of it totally it's a load of bullshit do you, do you think it's because um household cavalry is probably more uh steeped in tradition for things for the royal family than they are yeah. geared towards actual combat snobby yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i wasn't gonna say that but yeah yeah say it mate snobby you know it's uh yeah, they're just a lot of bullshit, a lot of bullshit. And you think, oh, this fucking bullshit, you know. But it's funny because um, when you go on tour, they expect you to perform 150% because you're representing the household cavalry, you know. But when you come back on tour, when you come back off tour and you're in camp, you just get treated like shit, you know. And they, they want you, they, it's like a kind of, kind of worms they just want you to open it every time they want to go fishing or something they and then they shut it again you know being a sniper we just got it sounds horrible me and my mate um who's just been recently discharged out the arm i'm not going to say his name like but he's in a shit state way shit state and he was my number two and we worked together we done four tours together as a snipers you know and he's fucked up totally fucked up and he got no support no support off the household cavalry at all no support and he got discharged this October. And I always said to him, I said, I said, mate, it'll catch up on you. It'll yeah. catch up. Because I got diagnosed first, obviously. Yeah. And I said, it'll catch up. And he goes, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Then he rang me up one day and he goes, I'm fucked, mate. I am fucked. You know? And I, I and we, I speak to him every single day because he's at that level where anything could tip him over the edge sort of thing, you know? Yeah. But um, when, it, when it comes to, to PTSD, um, I'm a, um, I, I did a qualification in uh, mental health first aid. And one of the things I said to the instructor was if if they dropped the word disorder from the end of it uh, and classed it as an injury, then perhaps, you know, uh, like like you were saying, you, you know, you didn't think it would happen to you. you. You didn't want to talk about it. You didn't want to admit it. But saying that, you know, it was an injury, would you have been more likely to to talk about it, to you know, admit something was wrong if it was classed as an injury? Yeah, I suppose it would. Yeah, it's a disorder. I never really thought of it like that. It's like having bipolar disorder. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, that is a disorder to have. Yeah. It gives but, yeah, you you're right about yeah, you're about PTSD is what you've seen and what you've yeah. what you've gone through. But yeah, I never thought of it like that. To be honest with you, you know. But um, yeah, just to have PTS. Severe PTS. Yeah, it's, I don't know, mate. You know, it's just... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tough one because, um, you know, especially in a 
a male dominated environment you know you, you're all strive, striving to be the best it's the alpha male environment um when somebody starts thinking you know post-traumatic stress disorder there is a stigma that you don't want to talk about it no no and men don't talk about it do they no and that's men, the biggest problem and that, yeah and like i said that's a stigma we need to break and that's yeah. what i'm trying to do at the moment is break yeah. that silence that men can fucking talk and that's why I do podcasts like this. And that's why I do interviews. And sometimes I get upset. Sometimes I do fucking cry. You know, I'm six foot four, I'm 19 stone. And I fucking cry, you know, because I can't control my emotions because I'm so passionate about people talking, you know. And I always say to people, you can't talk to your wife. You can't talk to your partner. can't talk to a doctor. Fucking talk to me. Instagram me and I'll talk to you at two o'clock in the morning. You know, my wife will talk to you. You know, because that's what it's about. And I always talk about medication as well. And I always talk about uh, medication is not the answer. It's not the answer. But if it keeps you in that straight kill without you dipping and it keeps you there, fucking take it. Absolutely take it, you know, and it will keep you on that even keel of life and not let you think about suicidal thoughts, not letting you dip to depression, you know. And eventually your mind will mend itself and you become a better person. You can wean yourself off the medication, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, speaking from personal experience, I was on uh, antidepressants for about a year yeah. after um, after an attempted suicide that hospitalized me. Now, the change in person from me before the episode to now, I would say very much that I'm not that person anymore. I'm somebody mm-hmm. different. And I think one of the hardest things to accept was that person has gone. The person in front of the mirror now is is somebody different who needs to move forward and grow. Yeah, yes, exactly. And I look at the mirror as well. And don't get me wrong, I miss the army. Yeah. I miss it with a fucking passion. You know, I miss the camaraderie. I don't miss the bullshit, but it's part and parcel of it. <laughs> but I miss the camaraderie. I miss, I miss going on exercise. I miss fucking snipering, you know. I miss it all. But I'm a different person now, yeah. you know, and Tanya looks at me and says, you are a different person now. You know, you're more, you're a stronger person than you were, you know, and I'm still on a lot of medication. You know, me and my wife don't even sleep in the same room because I have night terrors. I end up lashing out or stuff like that. And, and I get up early in the mornings and stuff, certain stuff. I'm still me, still Craig Harrison, but I'm not that person, just like yourself. I'm not that person, you know, and um, I, f- I feel I'm a better person. Yeah. You know, or getting to be a better person. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. we never quite finished the journey. No, you you never finish your journey. Never finish your journey, you know, because don't get me wrong, you could have a fantastic week and you get one day blip. Yeah. I call it mental health days, you know what I mean? Or I yeah. call it a wobble. Yeah. So when I text Tanya and I say I'm having a wobble, you know, and I'm having a really wobbly day today, you know, because I try and stay away from saying I'm depressed or or anything, because if that, that seeds in my head, then, you know, if I make fun of it, I'm, I'm having a wobbly day today and we talk about it, you know, and that's yeah. how I cope with it anyway. Oh, interesting way of coping with it. I yeah, might, yeah. I might try that with my other yeah. life. Just, just stay away from the negativity like depression, yeah. like I'm having an anxiety attack. I'm just having a wobble. Yeah, you know, because it won't last forever, and it won't last. It lasts a day or so, and look in the mirror again. You think, 
yeah, I am yeah. that, yeah, different. Giving yourself that positive inner monologue, isn't it? Rather yeah, for than sure. Talking constantly, down. constantly talking, reassuring yourself, you know. So, um, obviously, I've spoken to a lot of US veterans as well over my over my podcasts. Uh, a lot of famous ones. Now, how how would you say that the US military holds, or the, the US public holds, its military in such high esteem compared to the British? Oh, massively. I think the Americans get looked after, you know. Um, in my eyes, the people that I've seen, the veterans and, you know, their um, veteran association out there really looks after their wounded and stuff like that, you know. I remember when I, I went to America and I met somebody and she was in the Air Force and she suffered from, she couldn't be cold. She hated being cold. If something wrong with her skin or something. And she got 90% disability, you know, but if I was in the British Army doing that, I'd have probably got ten percent disability and told to put a woolly pulley on or something. You know, <laughs> you know, put some socks on and man up, sort of thing. But um, yeah, they look after their own. They do look after their own. Yeah, no, I feel that, and I've known people out there that their pensions are good and everything. I had to fight for my pension. It took me since I got discharged out of the army until uh, beginning of last year to yeah, yeah. win my case to fight for my pension. You know. So I, I feel there's a lot that we can learn from the oh. from the American veterans uh, that we really need to bring over here. Yeah, but we won't, though. We won't. We won't. No? No, no, nothing. They won't take anything from America because we're too, like I said, we're too snobbish as a country and we're too proud. You know, why should we take advice off the Americans? And that's, that's, the, that's the attitude that the British Army have got. You see, that, that saddens me because a lot of good things that the veteran community over there do, you know, there's veteran startups. Um, they Some of the veterans are almost held in a celebrity-like status. Um, and they become, you know, points of points of gravity where people will just, you know, go towards. And if they're giving out positive information, then veterans or, you know, even civilians who are suffering with mental health will absorb it. Now in the UK, what we've got a handful of, you know, celebrity status veterans, um, you know, for yourself, for example, I believe that, you know, you should be held in higher regard than what you were or, or what you are, you know, compare yourself to um, I don't know, Chris Kyle being a sniper, and then obviously yourself, British military, it's it's not in the same league, is it, for no, being not at all. well known? And I don't think no. that's very fair. No, not at all. And like, like I said before, Dan, mate, it would never happen, mate, in the British Army. It would never happen, you know, um, unless you're XSF and you do TV shows, you know, apart from that, Joe, I'm just a, a normal soldier. Yeah, I broke the world record. I've got mental health issues. I've got CPTSD and a TBI. That's me, you know, and I work nine to five in a day and I'm just slip away into the woodwork, don't you? And that's that's what you do. I love to scream from the rooftops and say, yeah. I love to be a massive advocate for mental health. I really would, yeah. you know, not take an earning from it or anything, but speak out. Yeah, help. You know, us. but the, all all the government do in England is 
they think, oh, I tell you what we do, we give such a money to help the heroes, such a money to combat stress. What the fuck? They're, they're shit. Absolutely shit. They don't do what they meant to be doing. I got fucked off combat stress because I was too complex. Too complex, you know? Yet you see people in the London Marathon in London running for combat stress and you think, where's that money going? Yeah. I'm too complex. I've been a fucking war, for God's sake. You're meant to help me and help the heroes. Now, some people have, yeah, benefited off it. I've never benefited it. I've reached out to them many a time, you know, but that's the government done then. That's the government done yeah. because they've done their bit. They're giving yeah. the money to these big charities. Yeah. It's these little charities that do the best. Yeah. You know, people aren't taking an earning from it, but helping veterans find themselves again, you know, like I do with my survival school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I take veterans into the wood free of charge, free of charge. And I take them in the woods and we do bushcraft for the whole weekend from Friday to Sunday, we do bushcraft. And I had, I just took four guys this weekend and one guy's text me and he said, thank you for saving my life, Craig. Thank you for saving my life. And I went, and it doesn't hit me. And I think, and Tanya goes, Craig, what's it make you feel like? I said, I don't know. It doesn't hit me, you know? Um, yeah. It just, I've just been me and I've given them something to, strive for and i say to him anytime you're having a wobble or a shit day yeah come down to school come into the woods get away from it all and they said thank you so much thank you yeah you know that sounds really good um so you know that that's one form of um way of treating mental health i know the americans uh are quite into to herbal remedies when it comes to like ayahuasca Oh, magic mushrooms. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that sort of treatment for mental health? Do you know what? Um, I got invited to go to Peru to do ayahuasca. Yeah. Um, but I'm too scared. I know you're meant to have a bad trip, but I yeah. don't like being drunk, even drinking alcohol. So being out of control on ayahuasca and tripping out and having a bad trip will shit the life out of me. Plus, they want you to come off your medication. Yeah. Now, I come off my medication um, last year for a couple of months. I was the worst fucking arsehole to be around, you know. And my wife, I'm, I love her. I'm very surprised she stayed with me, you know, because I was such a fucking dick. I was depressed, isolated. I wanted to be on my own. I didn't want to be around anyone. And I went back on my medication and I was a different person. Like you say, you look in the mirror, don't you? You yeah. go, I'm not that person. But um, yeah, and I didn't want to have a bad trip. I was, too, you know, I don't want to be sick. I don't want to shit myself. I don't want to meet the devil, you yeah. know, because that's what happens with the yeah. ayahuasca thing. So I turned it down. But then I got invited to do magic mushrooms. Same yeah. again, having a trip, you know. But then I thought to myself, if you're injured up here and you have a magic mushroom, do you still trip? Well, or does it put you on that even keel? Yeah. You know, but I'm not I'm not willing to try a magic mushroom. If it works for them, you know, it, it works. I remember the Second World War. We used to watch um, Second World War stuff uh, when we were in training. And did you ever hear when they gave LSD to the uh, soldiers and they yeah. filmed it and they were in a wood bumping into trees and God knows God knows what? Yeah, that's no, not my thing. No, I, I like to be in control. In, in yeah. certain ways, you know. I, I understand that. Um, one of one of the things that I was looking towards in the future is perhaps setting up a non-profit to try and uh, for veterans who were interested in doing it, perhaps 
setting up a non-profit so i was able to send them over there to 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 try it yeah um, yeah yeah that's, that's a fantastic idea you know and people will try it people will try to escape that escapism you know to get away from ptsd because it is it is a dark cloak on people yeah you know uh, one of the things that I feel has, has highlighted these sort of issues really well is uh, a TV program called SEAL Team. I don't know if you've watched it, uh, but it's done an incredible job, I feel personally, of highlighting TBIs and PTS and using uh, herbal remedies like that in a SF environment. Okay. Uh, and I think that has done a, a very good way of portraying it for, for perhaps veterans and, and students yeah. to understand what people could experience could have gone through yeah yeah i hear now that the uh the seal teams fs teams out there are brain scanning their recruits yeah and then when they leave they brain scan them again so when they go to them i've been injured no you haven't because your brain's exactly the same as it when you first joined you know and they're doing things like which i think is a fantastic yeah. idea as well you know just fully checking their blokes out yeah good because um, obviously traumatic brain injury, they've given it a bit of a slang term called breacher syndrome. Because obviously when you're breaching a door, you, you're only feet away from that breaching charge and it's the concussion. Yeah. And uh, one of the team members I've spoken to says, you know, like you were saying earlier, it's a culmination of everything, even from a training grenade to actually being out on a two-way range uh, in Afghanistan and, and, and taking doors off its hinges. It's a cumulative effect yeah. of, of all those explosions. Uh, so, yeah, they, they call it breacher syndrome. Yeah, I think I've heard it like that. Yeah, breacher yeah. syndrome. Yeah. God, you must be breaching so many fucking doors to get that, like, constantly. They must be breaching all the time. Yeah. Well, it, like I was saying, it was a cumulative effect all the way through. Yeah, training, yeah, using yeah, yeah. Grenades and uh, obviously explosives as well. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I found that uh, quite fascinating, which is why I wanted to set up a non-profit in that direction. Now, you you wrote a book. Yeah. Um, and, and that sort of documents your journey, I would say, during the military up until sniping and leaving. Did, did you include in the end about your PTS or did you leave it just as a... Yeah, I did. I, I think near the end, um, I'd mentioned about my PTSD you know, but um, it's funny enough because I got invited to do my book and write it and I wrote it and it was about this thick, yeah. you know, and when it went for the solicitors, the legal, it sort of went down and down <laughs> and down and down, and down to, to a normal size book. But um, yeah, the reason why I'd done the book as well is because um, I just wanted to put people straight about my shot, yeah. you know, because the, I think the Americans did a YouTube thing on it when I was lying down and stuff. When I did my shot, I was stood up, you know, and uh, just the way they illustrated everything. And I thought, yeah, that's totally wrong. I need to put everyone straight about my shot. But I couldn't just do it about my shot because it'd be like a pamphlet. So I, I ended up writing about my whole childhood, about me prize fighting, about me joining the Foreign Legion and about me, you know, because people said I got an, had an interest in life, you know. So, yeah, and it turned out to be a, a good seller, which is a bonus on my behalf. Um, speaking to some veterans, they, they've used writing books or autobiographies as almost a, a form of therapy, getting a lot of what they've done, what they've seen out of the mind and on paper. Was that um, something you felt with your book or was it, like you say, purely aimed towards just explaining your, your shot? 
Um, yeah, for, first of all, it's about explaining the shot, but more I got into it, more I was going, fucking yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And I wrote it down and goes, fucking hell, that happened, did it? Yeah, and I wrote that down like that. Yeah, so it brought a lot of memories back and a lot of good memories as well, yeah. um, but a lot of shit memories, and it was good. But, y- you know, w- once that book's published and is out there, your mind goes back into the normal shit again, yeah. you know. But whilst you're doing it, it's exciting. Yeah. You know? And but once it's out there and you everything settled, a few months after that, you're back to your square one again when you see PTSD. And that's why it grabs you by the balls all the time, doesn't it? Drags you down. Do you, did you ever feel uh like you said, you briefly mentioned it at the end of the book. Did you ever feel like having an extra couple of chapters explaining what it was like? Uh, from your perspective of how you felt the emotions of chronic PTS. I did. I did write it. Like I said, it was this fat, you know, and that was cut out of it. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. They cut so much. I could have put, I, what they put out, I could have put another book in, you know what I mean? But they said, you can't do that. You can't put that in. Fuck me. You can't put that in, you know, what the hell you can't put that in. And I was like, "Ah, well, I'm not going to have a book left. So, and they showed me what I had left, and I thought, well, if that's the case, that's the case. Yeah. What was their reasons of uh, editing out the, the bits about your mental health? Was because it directed it, at the army? It's not directed at the army, it's too fucking hardcore, you know? And they said, fucking hell, you can't put that because it's too hardcore. Like, I've got a book that I write in, all right? And it's got a lock on it, and I write in it every single fucking day. And what's in that book is the most vilest things that I fucking think of. So I wake up in the morning because I suffer from suicide isolation. So I think about suicide every day in the morning and in the evening. Doesn't mean I'm going to carry it out. It's just the way I think up here and how I feel, you know. So I write in this book all the time. Now, I took that book to a publicist and I said, this is PTSD in this book. All this book's about PTSD. And I'm near the back of the, nearly finished the whole book. And I said, I want to publish this book. And they looked at it and they went, no fucking chance. No <laughs> one will ever touch this fucking book. And I said, why not? Why not? People need to understand. Normal civilian people need to mm. understand. This is what a veteran goes through. This is what mental health and CPTT is all fucking about. And they went, no one will touch it. No one will touch it. And it's a shame. It's a shame. Because yeah. it, it, it's something that we need, isn't it? it yeah. But it is difficult for uh, somebody who's not lived that life to to understand, you know, how you're feeling, what you're thinking, because they haven't walked in your shoes, they haven't been through that. Only another veteran that would be in your shoes currently would understand. Yeah. And I, I think that's where the, the hardship lies, especially for loved ones, relatives, family members. Um, because they walk on eggshells all the time, don't they? They they yeah. don't want to to trigger you, so it's almost they get like a, a secondary PTS uh, because they are wary of what they say because they don't want to trigger you into an emotional response. I'd imagine. Like Tanya, my wife's got secondary PTSD. Yeah, she she will not admit it, but she has off me. Yeah, you know, and um, she said she walks on eggshells. You know, but when I do my survival, my bushcraft stuff, and I come back on the Sunday, she said, you're so, you're so fucking different. It's just so fucking different. And then reality hits. Yeah. And I'm back at home. I'm like, ah, okay. 
then the next weekend comes and I'm like, ah, fucking yeah, because it's what I enjoy doing. But yeah, yeah, she she struggles. She fucking massively struggles. And it's my fault. And it's my fault. I, I call it infect. Yeah. You know, I, and I isolate myself so much because I infect people with my fucking misery. So if I if you stuck me in a room with 10 other people and they're happy as fuck and you stick one person in there who's miserable, you're going to start infecting them and they're all going to start. And that's how my train of thought thinks, you oh. know. So I isolate myself all the time. I don't go out much or anything because I just don't want to infect people with my misery. No one deserves to what I think about, you know. But my wife's with me 24-7 and I've infected her and I'm, you know, and I say sorry to her all the time. You know, I'll say, I say, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry I'm like this. I'm sorry this has happened to me. It is, it is difficult for the people closest to us when um, we're affected that way, isn't it? It's Massively, massively. It, it takes a special woman or a special partner to cope with somebody with chronic PTSD or with mental health issues. It is because one minute they're up, Next minute, they're fucking right bottom again. And for them to um, understand and to react and, like you said, not tread on the eggshells and yeah. walk around you, you know, it's they're a fucking lifesaver. They're a godsend, you know. Now, obviously, you, you're saying you've got this sort of outward bound program that you do a weekend free of charge. Where did that idea come from? And um, me and my, I see my therapist. His name's Ross Hall. I see him every Thursday. And, um, I sit with him and bless him. I just fucking let rip on him. He's like, he's like that book, but I'm, I'm just translating it to him. And he just sits there like that. <laughs> and I'm fucking just babbling all this fucking stuff off. And um, I said to him, I said, I want to use my skills that I learned in the army, bush, the bushcraft stuff. And I want to learn some more. And he set me on some bushcraft courses and then I transferred some of my skills into civilian quals from the army that I've learned. And then um, I said, I want to help veterans. I want to help veterans. I just came out with it. I just want to help veterans. Don't get me wrong. And civilians come on my course as well. Yeah. And first line responders like ambulance, fire brigade and the police, because they suffer as well. Yeah. You know, it's not just military. They fucking suffer. But I going off the track a little bit, but PTSD from civilian to army, it's like a train track. You know, they're level with each other. They're never crossed because you're never going to experience what that person's experienced. But they're still level. Even going around corners, they still stay level with each other, you know, and that's PTSD. And I said to Ross, I want to help everybody, but I don't want to earn off it because, like, these fucking charities sucking dry. Every pound that gets sucked into a charity, one P gets to where it's meant to be going. And that's upsetting. And I said, I don't want to be like that. And I've, I've been lucky to, well, very fortunate to have access to a 57-acre wood block. And, yeah, every week, nearly every weekend, I am, this year I'm fully booked. My diary, this diary here is fully booked, full of veterans coming down, you know, on to my school. And it makes me smile because I'm helping them. And if I can help one person out of a hundred not commit suicide, that'll do for me, you know. And I do fucking, you know, and I do, yeah, I know I do because of the messages I get back as well. That's 
it's one of the reasons that will is the main reason why I do this podcast. Obviously, yeah. you know, you, you go out and do your wilderness thing. I, I've got this podcast and, you know, I hope that people who listen to these episodes, I, I hope that it reaches them and touches them and, you know, stops them from doing something that dramatic. It, they, they end up taking their life, which is something that we need to stop. Um, it is massively need to stop this. People need to talk, 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 break the stigma, talk. You know, I used to talk to my dog. She passed away in July last year and I fucking miss her because I talk to her all the time. And she used to look at me and I thought, she's understanding me and I used to talk to her. And that makes me, that feels, that let a lot of release go in myself as well, you know. I'm, I must admit, I've, I've had a dog since the age of 12. So uh, I'm knocking on a bit now. So I've had a dog for... Uh, a lot of my life and I don't think I could ever be without one because they are your best friend they are you, you do talk to them they are so empathetic they know exactly how you're feeling so uh yeah I'm I'm sorry for your loss of your, of your dog I no know, thank how, you thank I you I know how much that would have affected you cause... yeah I've got her ashes um I've got her cremated and oh. do you know what I still talk to her I don't blame you I would you as know, well yeah. I still talk to her and um yeah, it's it's good to talk. Talk, talk, talk. One of the things when it comes to talking, obviously you said you've got a therapist. Now, one of the things I found when I had a, a therapist was I went through a couple before I found one that I would actually open up to because having that bond between you and the therapist where you actually sort of feel comfortable for, for talking is quite important because yes they are a stranger yes they probably won't understand the situations that you've been through but to have that sort of bond where you can actually open up and have a two-way conversation is, is very important how easy was it for you to have that rapport that bond with with your therapist i met ross four years ago um because all the other charities were absolutely useless yeah. and i thought and i remember tanya going in to have a spa day and I went to go and pick her up. And at the board, there was a um, a card saying um, psychotherapist, Ross Orr. And I gave him a ring. He said, yeah, come on in. So I sat down and talked to him. And do you know what? I was like, ah, fucking like this guy. Straight away, I like this guy. You know, and four years on, and I see him every week. I'm still, and he's become like a friend as well as a therapist. Yeah you know, and he's helped me so much overcome stuff and he's done so much for me and I couldn't ask for anything better, you know, but I pay out of my own pocket, yeah, because I believe these therapists that you go and see for the national health or, yeah. you know, anything like that, they clock, they clock watch. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, and when they stop you halfway through your rants and go, that's your hour gone now, you're like, ah, but I don't, I've got more to see. Now it's your hour gone. And they only give you six sessions. Yeah. You know, and these charities only give you six sessions. Ross never clock watches. And if I'm in there for two hours or three hours, he still makes me pay for that hour. He doesn't over, wow. he doesn't charge me. What a fucking guy. You know, he's his name's Ross Hall and he's a fucking lifesaver. Lifesaver. Yeah. That is brilliant. Um, what a guy for for doing that is that is truly amazing. I'm I'm appreciative of that. Um, so what, what 
what, what's the future going to hold for you? Um, do you feel like expanding on the on this nature thing at a weekend? Yeah, I do. I want it. I want to get it registered as a charity. Yeah. Um, so it's recognised as a charity instead of doing it off my own back, you know. And then people can come down anytime, anytime. I don't want to take a wage from it. I want the money that people either donate or whatever to go back into buy, buying a, getting a bigger wood, you know, buying better equipment, buying me a bigger van, stuff like that. Not earning a wage off it. I'm just giving back to people what they deserve, you know, and to live in a sleeping bag in a basher under a tree when it's raining, these ex-veterans fucking love it. It's like going back in time for them. They really do. And if I can give that back to them and make them smile, you know, that my job's done, you know, yeah. and I just want it to get bigger and bigger. I only take small groups. The maximum I take is six people. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm fully booked, but this weekend I took five and absolutely fucking brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I just want it to get bigger and better. What what do you think? Um what what does bigger look like for you? Are we are we looking at uh, merchandise that the profits will go from back into the company? Are we looking at um bigger social media? Yeah, uh, I've got um I've got like I've got hoodies and clothing line, but I've never thought of putting it into a clothing line. But yeah. when I get registered as a charity, the people that are helping me do it. They also say, yeah, we can do merchandise for you as well to get it out. And I will, I will. And the money I make off the charity, I will donate to other charities. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, because you can donate to other charities, can't you? You know, and I'll do that. And it it won't be these big companies. It'd be the small charities that mean a lot to me that are doing a lot for veterans, not these big ones, you know, where the money's going to get used wisely. Absolutely. Now, Think, thinking of that way in line, just just putting a thought out there in your head. Uh, there's a company in America um, that I know quite well. His name's Tommy. It's called Eagles and Angels. Now he, he gets uh, quite renowned veterans. You know, be your caliber. Um, they donate some of their uniform that they might have worn during uh, during combat or whatever, and he, uh, he he turns them into these hats. Now for the the selling of the hats the person that donates the uh the item of clothing gets to nominate a charity so i don't know if that would be uh something you'd be interested in yeah yeah i could do if you send me the information yeah I'll look into, do, yeah. yeah i'll look into that mate that'd be really good yeah uh because i've got a few of them behind me on the side. yeah i can see yeah uh christian craigheads and mike glover and eddie penny and all, all that lot and, and this one is actually mine okay uh, yeah, so, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Send the info, mate. We'll look into that. Yeah, that'd be I, really good. I think it's an interesting way of um, getting your name out there again, and then also getting some money towards uh, towards some charities. Isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think it's a good way of doing that. Yeah. Um, so, what can we people expect to, to go to book on for this? Are they uh, just camping out in the woods? What what sort of survival skills are they being taught? Um, we build shelters. We do tracking. We do foraging. Um, we make arrows, we do flint napping, we do um, some, what else do we do? Oh yeah, we make our own foods, so we gut rabbits, pigeons, stuff like that. So we're going back, back in time, 
um, to Neolithic times where we're just living off the land, really, you know. And um, I've got a big tarp that I perp so everyone's nice and dry. And I've got equipment for enough for six people. So people coming down to the school don't have to have equipment. I give, I can give it all, as long as they've got warm clothes and a, yeah. and a good attitude. You know, that's all I need. They're willing to learn. But yeah, everything to have fire making, bushcraft and stuff like that, making cordage, you know, things to do at bushcraft. And it's not about, I suppose, yeah, 50% is about learning, learning about bushcraft. Yeah. But I think the other 50% is about the release and getting out of the rat race and just relaxing in the wood with a non sort of like pace yeah attitude it's just really relaxed and chilled out sort of thing you know so it's 50 50 what you what you take away of it yeah you, you're not measuring the day by the the time on your hand you, you measure no. it by sun up to sundown aren't you i don't even wear a watch when i'm out there and do you know what i say yeah. to them i say to them when they first tip up on the friday i say in an hour's time it'd be sunday and they look at me and they go what say remember what i said and sunday comes and he goes the weekend's just gone like that and i told you our time it'll be (laughs) sunday you know and i always tell him as well you know be careful because you're leaving this wood now you've had such a chilled atmosphere you've been relaxed in everything you've slept well you've ate well and you're going back into society you know and just be careful you don't get stressed or road rage and stuff like that because that's what happens yeah you know you go back into the rat race and you get overwhelmed by things so i always i always stay in contact with the people that come on the course as well and they always chat to me and i always check in on them as well just checking how you're doing just checking how your mindset is little messages you know and that goes a long way as well um might be worth setting up some sort of discord then or uh, a patron uh where you can have some sort of chat rooms with people who have been on the yeah uh, been on yeah, the yeah. That, that might be a good thing for you because my phone is chocker i'm always <laughs> i get about 50 whatsapps and i'm there all day just t- texting away trying to say hello to everyone you know yeah. well there, there you go then if you if you turn it to a web-based platform on on discord or a patron it might just uh take that mobile phone out your hand a little bit more and cause you a little bit less stress as well yeah for sure i'll look into that yeah <laughs> Um, two things I always like to ask, uh, I guess, before, before we call that end of the show in one of them would be if you could go back now and tell your younger self one bit of advice, what would you tell them? I wish I met my wife at an earlier age. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I wish I met my wife at an early age to cope with my tours better. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't change my life on anything that I've done. I've got no regrets. You know, don't get me wrong. I've got regrets Yeah. with operational tours and stuff that I've done and seen, you know, I've suffered regrets that way, but personal stuff. No, I wish I met my wife at an earlier age. That's all I can say on that. She sounds like she's very much your rock and, uh, She's massively just, yeah. more than a rock more than a rock you know she's like a mountain she's not fat she's really thin <laughs> it's not like a mountain <laughs> just to clarify before you just get to clarify, hand, yeah. hand around the back of the head. Yeah, that's it, that's it. <laughs> uh, and what else um 
obviously besides you know you you want your uh, outward bound project to grow what else does the future hold for yourself do you reckon that you know in the future you're going to get that second book out that's actually going to talk about pts and, and get conversation starting what else i want in the future um get rid of this ptsd yeah, yeah. get rid of this sadness have me back I want myself back. I yeah. want that person that I lost when I got blown up. That's what I want back, you know, and I want, you know, I want to get rid of this mental health and I just want myself back. And I want to give everything back when I'm better in my head and headspace back to my wife. Mm. And yeah, to help others as well and massively to help others, you know, and, um, do you know, I always say a person with PTSD understands a person with PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. But when you go into these doctors and all that, they don't suffer. So they find it hard to understand what you're going through. So because I'm going through it, that's why I think I understand people better when they come down to my school, you know, and in the future, because I've gone through it and I'm going through it, I want to help more people. Do you, do you think there is light at the end of the tunnel for yourself? Do you think there is going to be an end point where you go, I've finally beaten it then? My wife said there will be an end point. It will never leave you. No. But you become cope with it better. Yeah. You know, you'll never stop them images because I've seen things. She goes, you've seen a lot of horrible things and you've done things. They will never, that will never leave you. But you learn to cope with it better. Yeah. You know, I'm scared to leave my therapist. Does that make sense? Because I talk to him all the time. And if I miss a week, I get really panicky that I missed a week because it's become such a routine for me. Yeah. I'm talking about the stuff that I've seen and done. It's, you know, I'm scared to think that one day he's going to go, that's it, Craig, we're done. I'm thinking, fucking hell. You know, he never would. It'd be up to me to make that choice, yeah. I think. But, yeah. Well, I think it's one of those things, isn't it, when, when we talk about mental health, we've got a thing called a stress bucket. And obviously during the day, you know, you, you've got your PTS going in there. You've got, like you say, road rage going in your stress bucket. And one of the things to, to re relieve the stress is you, you turn in your tap on. The way to turn a tap on is through many things. It could be physical exercise, returning back to nature, or like you say, you know, talking to a therapist. So when you're removing one of those coping mechanisms, you know, that tap just gets closed out a little bit more and your stress bucket starts filling up again quite yeah. quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, I can understand why you're feeling anxious of, you know, not being able to speak to him. Um, so, yeah, maybe other coping mechanisms uh, thrown in there and Did weaning off very, very slowly. Buy another dog, get another mate, disappear into the woods for the weekend. Yeah. So, sounds a good plan. That sounds good. Towards, that sounds uh, good, doesn't it? Bit yeah. of hunting with a dog, bit of fishing. That's it. <laughs> and just, just do that and calm down. That's it. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, well, I hope to stay in touch with you. Uh, it's yeah, please do, Dan. Absolutely brilliantly talking to you. You know, Thank you. you. You've been through a lot. Um, and I wish you all the best for your continued journey. Um, I know you'll get there. I know Cheers, Dan. And I hope you 
in a good place and i hope you do well as well mate thank you kindly thank you very no much. worries thank you thank you